It's great to be together. Here's the thing. It's Easter Sunday, 2018, and today we are going to start a new series of teachings in our church out of the book of 1 John. I cannot think of a better way to celebrate Resurrection Day than to study a letter that was written by probably the person who knew Jesus, the risen Lord, most intimately, most closely, the Apostle John. So if you're visiting or if you are a guest, welcome. You, you chose a great day to come to church on a day where we're starting something new together. If you have a Bible, open to the very end to the book of 1 John, right before the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, do not despair. We're going to put the words on the screens up above me just for you. That's how much we love you. We never do it here, but we're going to do it today. So... The words will be up there. Turn, if you will, to 1 John. And while you're getting settled, I'd like to share an observation with you. The very best stories, the ones that we're most drawn to, the ones that we return to again and again and again, always seem to be the stories that lead us to that point where there is a dramatic turnaround. It always happens at the same point in the story, at this super dramatic point where things have turned dark. There's a lot of despair. There's a crisis moment. The characters have given up hope. And then suddenly there's this dramatic turnaround where good conquers evil, right overcomes wrong, and all of the characters erupt into inexpressible joy, right? Doesn't that sound familiar? So many of the great stories, so many of the great films, the epic films trace that basic storyline where good overcomes evil in the end and everyone experiences joy, except for the French films, of course. They're very postmodern, and the French films, everyone dies or goes home lonely. But setting aside, setting aside the French for just a minute, most of the stories that we love tr take us on that kind of a journey. The hero sweeps in at just the right moment to save the day. The prince, the knight in shining armor, shows up just in time with true love's kiss to waken the princess who's in a sleep. My little daughter, Bridget, when she was just a baby, her favorite movie was Sleeping Beauty. I swear to you, she watched that movie every day for a year. It was horrible. But anyway, and she was so cute. She'd come up to me with these big chubby cheeks and these brown eyes and this lisp. She couldn't quite pronounce Sleeping Beauty. And she would say, Dad, can I watch Sleeping Booty today? <laughs> I was like, sure, why not? And we put it on and then, and then she would watch the movie and she'd seen it hundreds of times, but every time she watched it, she'd get to that moment where the Princess Aurora is about to touch the point of the spindle and she would begin to cry. And I would say, Bridget, you know what's going to happen. The prince is coming, you know. But she would cry, she would get caught up in the drama and then the prince would show up and save the day. And then she would erupt with joy, Right? Gandalf, he always shows up at the right time with 
first lights dawn behind him and leading an army of ghosts or something. Nerd alert. Anyway, <laughs> we know these stories. We're drawn to these stories. You know, there's a reason why these kinds of stories resonate with us. There's a reason for this. The reason is because this kind of a story is an echo of the ultimate turning point story. It's just, these stories are just a little echo of the one truly epic story where good overcomes evil, where right overcomes wrong, where the hero sweeps in at just the right time to save the day. And the ultimate turning point is the resurrection of Christ. Amen. You can say amen today as many times as you want. But here's the thing I want you to know, River West. This story is a true story. It's not fiction. This actually happened at a real place and a real time in human history. And we know it because John was there. He saw it with his own eyes. He was an eyewitness. And he wrote a letter. And he wrote a letter because he wanted the church to know I was there. Me and my friends, we had a front row seat to the drama. We saw the risen Christ. We touched the risen Christ. We heard him speaking to us. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a spiritual metaphor. This actually happened. And the joy that I felt changed my life so much that I have to write a letter so I can share it with you. Will you read the letter with me? Not the whole thing. We'll just read four verses. Four verses. Here's how John begins his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard. Are you getting John's emphasis? He's saying, I saw Christ after his resurrection. I heard him speak. I touched him. This actually happened. And oh, if you could have been there. And so I want to share it with you. And so John says, that which we have seen and that which we have heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. Why did John write his letter? Well, he tells us right out of the gate. I love it when people just cut to the chase and they say, here's why I'm writing. And John tells us two reasons, verse three and verse four. Reason number one, in verse three, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you also may have fellowship with us. John says, we want you to fellowship with us. The experience that John and the other disciples had with the risen Christ bonded them together together in a unique kind of fellowship. 
A fellowship like the world has never known because it was a fellowship in which Jesus, the risen Lord, was right in the center of it. John goes on and he says, it's a fellowship not only with us, but it's a fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And John says, I want you to join that fellowship. I love John's heart. He says, this is the kind of fellowship that's always growing. John's heart is, I want to invite you into that fellowship. He wrote a letter so that I could be invited into the fellowship. He wrote a letter so that you could be invited into the fellowship. But that's not the only reason he wrote. Verse 4, John says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John says the impact of being in the presence of the risen Christ was one of inexpressible joy. He says, if I, if I had to pick one word to describe what it was like that day to talk to Jesus, my Savior, the risen Christ, the word that I would choose is the word joy. Oh, if you could have been there and experienced it. And John says, I want to share it with you. He says, this kind of joy is unique. It's that kind of joy that never quite feels full until you share it with someone else. It's that kind of joy that's contagious. You just want to share it with everyone you know, and it gets filled in more and more, and it becomes complete as more people come to experience the joy. We know what that's like. You have something amazing happen in your life, a cause for celebration. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to pick up the phone and call someone. I got the job. Yes. We're pregnant. You tweet it from the mountaintops, right? It's a girl. Put it on Instagram. Have you seen these new uh, gender reveals people do on Instagram where they, couples make a really big deal about whether it's a boy or a girl and they have all their friends there. And so there's a couple standing under a cardboard box and someone's filming, of course, because someone's always filming in 2000, whatever it is. And they're filming and then their friends pull a string and blue confetti falls, right? It's a boy. Or someone shoots off a smoke bomb. They do smoke, smoke bombs now, pink smoke. It's amazing. I saw one this week. I couldn't believe. There was a couple on a beach wearing all white, and all of their friends were on the beach with paint guns. This happened. And they said, do you want to know what the gender of your baby is? All right. And they shot them with blue pellets. It's a boy. Okay, we're taking it too far now. Anyway. You want to share it with your friends. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. John says fellowship and joy, they go together. They're inextricably linked. You can't have one without the other. But did you know that on the night when the risen Christ first appeared to his disciples, one of them was missing? Did you know this? On the night that Christ showed up for the very first time, one of John's very best friends, one of the disciples, was not there. He missed the meeting. Of all of the nights to miss the meeting, he missed the meeting. He missed out on the joy. He missed out on the fellowship of the risen Christ. John tells us about it in his gospel. In chapter 20, 
If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, turn to John chapter 20, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, don't despair because we're going to put the words on the screen for the very first time. We never do this. Just for you. That's how much we love you. John sets the scene. John 20 in verse 19. Here's what happened. Now, this is the key to understanding John's letter. John says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. I just want to pause there and set the stage for you. The, the disciples were locked inside of a room and they were afraid. This is the moment in the story of despair. This is the moment of the darkest hour. This is the moment when the characters have lost hope. This is the moment where all seems lost because Jesus, their leader, had been murdered and they were pretty sure they're next. And so what do they do? They locked themselves in a room. And what happened? Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, that may be the single greatest understatement in the entire New Testament. I have a feeling they were more than glad. And actually, glad is not really the best way to translate what's going on here. Glad doesn't quite Get it. I'm glad when I don't burn my toast, okay? But this was a different emotion. That word is actually the word rejoice. It's the verbal form of the noun joy. John wants us to say that moment when Jesus arrived, we exploded with joy. It was the most uncomparable joy I've ever felt. The NIV gets it right where it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They burst into a celebration. This is resurrection joy. It's Christian joy. It's a joy that you only experience when you encounter the risen Christ. It wasn't just relief. Oh, thank heavens, Jesus is back from the dead. It was more than that. In fact, when they saw Jesus, they knew something is actually radically different about him. He's not, he's not back from the dead like Lazarus came back from the dead. This is really important. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was resurrected, but he was raised back to the same physical state that he had been before, a mortal body captured by sin only to die again someday but that is not the way Jesus was raised. His resurrection was totally unique. He was different. He was still physical. He had the holes in his hands. He ate fish with the disciples, but that physical body was glorified somehow. He could, he could walk through locked doors. It was as if the disciples were seeing a vision of what human life can be like after the grave for all of eternity. And when they saw it, they knew this is the radical turning point in human history. Nothing will ever be the same. If he is risen, we can be risen. If Jesus can 
conquer the grave, we can conquer the grave. If Jesus had victory over sin, we could one day have victory over sin. And do you know what happened? Their hearts exploded with joy. Inexpressible joy. If John were here, do you know what he would ask us today? He would ask you, do you know that joy in your life? Do you know that joy? If you don't, Jesus wants to fill your heart with it this morning, John would say. I wrote a whole letter to share it to you. It's that kind of joy that only gets filled in as other people experience it. And so we're going to study John's letter. And I hope you'll come back and learn more. But the story doesn't end there because what John tells us next is that one of the disciples missed this meeting. Will you look at it with me? Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Oh, Thomas, of all of the nights. Where was Thomas? We don't know. Was he stuck in traffic? Where was Thomas? Was he at the parent rabbi conferences? We don't know. John doesn't tell us. But he wasn't there of all of the nights to miss the meeting. Thomas missed the meeting. We don't know why, but can I tell you something? We know this for certain. Thomas found himself on the outside of a fellowship of joy. And he could feel it. I imagine what it would have been like for Thomas to walk in the room afterwards. You know that feeling when you show up somewhere and you're like, I think I just missed something amazing. (laughs) Something amazing just happened. And you can see it in people's eyes. Thomas had that experience. He was like, I think I missed something amazing. And so what did his friends do? They wanted to share their joy. So here's what happened. The other disciples told him, verse 25, We have seen the Lord. Now look, I don't think they mumbled that. I don't think they said that quietly. I think they shouted that with more joy than you've ever heard in your life. Thomas, we've seen the Lord. They wanted to invite Thomas in. They wanted him to be a part of the fellowship. They wanted him to share the joy. Their joy would not be completed until Thomas was a part of it. John wrote a letter because he wanted other people to join him in the fellowship of joy. It's a kind of joy that only gets filled up as others begin to experience it. Did you know that at River West Church, our joy is not full? And this is a church of immeasurable joy like more joy than I've ever been around, but it's a joy that's always growing. And you know how the joy grows? It grows as others are invited in to an experience with the risen Christ. And every time we gather, we experience more joy. And it seems impossible to keep experiencing more, and yet we do. And this morning, I'm gonna invite you to be a part of that joy. 
Well, how did Thomas respond? Not in the way you would expect. Here's what he said. The other disciples told him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. We commonly call him Doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard that? This is Doubting Thomas. This is what we call him. But it's actually not really the best way to describe Thomas because Thomas was not a doubter. Thomas actually was not doubting the resurrection. Did you see it? He didn't say, I doubt the resurrection. Thomas actually dug in his heels and he said, I refuse to believe. He wasn't doubting Thomas. He was disbelieving Thomas. And there's a difference. You know, when you doubt, there's actually some faith in doubting. People who doubt, they sort of believe, but they're wrestling with their belief. You can't doubt something until you're already sort of inclined to believe it. And so you actually begin to discover doubt is not the opposite of belief. Often belief and doubt go together. They're like two sides of the same coin. Often the things I believe with my heart more than anything, I'll also periodically struggle with a little bit of doubt. So if you find that you're a person who believes in the risen Lord, but you also struggle with doubt, you know what? Welcome to the club. You're welcome here. But Thomas was different. You know what Thomas said? He said to his friends, I don't care how many of you corroborate the same story. I will never believe. I'll never believe. And the reason that matters is that there's no joy there. There's no joy. And so how did Jesus respond to disbelieving Thomas? He responded the way Jesus always responds, with grace and love. Did you know Jesus came back and he came back for one reason and one reason only? He came back for Thomas. Here's what happened. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. <sighs> Thank heavens. <laughs> Although the doors were locked, that sounds familiar. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That sounds familiar. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And I don't think he said that with condemnation. I think he said it with love. And then he said, Thomas, don't disbelieve anymore. Believe. Believe, Thomas. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And that's when the joy flooded in. You can never say that without inexpressible joy. You will always feel joy when you say that. Amen.
you will always feel joy. But Jesus said one more thing. He said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now, this is really interesting because what Jesus does at the end of this little moment is he says, Thomas, I'm going to use your story to say something to every generation of people who will live after you. I'm going to use your experience to drive home a principle that's so important. And the principle is this. It's one thing to see and believe, but if you want to experience joy, the way into joy is to believe even when you can't see. That's when the joy floods in. I wonder why Jesus said that. It has something to do with joy. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's a, a unique kind of joy that a person experiences when they begin a relationship with God through humble trust, where they lay down their defenses, they lay down their stubbornness, they lay down their disbelief, and in humble faith, they believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a joy there. It doesn't mean that faith requires the absence of reason or cognitive faculties. It doesn't mean that there's ample evidence for the resurrection. There's overwhelming historical evidence for the resurrection. What Jesus is saying is that you don't begin a relationship with God in the same way you prove a scientific theory. God is not a philosophical problem to be solved. You can't test God like an experiment in a laboratory. If you prove God that way, you begin a relationship with God on your terms where you're still in control. And God says, I want to invite you into a relationship on my terms where you let go of control. And when you do it, you're going to feel joy, incomparable joy. Now, it involves a step of faith, absolutely. That's why Jesus said to Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. But he also said, happy are those who even when they cannot see, believe. And so we're going to go on a journey as a church because John wanted to invite people into joy, into fellowship. And so we're going to study his letter. And I want to invite you to join us. Your attendance so far in this series is 100%, one out of one. Good job. <laughs> Don't make it a one-off. Come back next Sunday. Let's go on a journey together. Perhaps you're realizing, I need some joy in my life. I need some fellowship in my life. I'm alone. I'm curious about this John and what he saw. If that's you, will you join us? Do you know what? Our joy will become complete if you do. And actually, it's very possible that this morning some of you want to begin the journey of joy right in this moment by putting your hope in Christ 
by refusing to disbelieve and by becoming a believer. And if that's you, I'm going to say a prayer in just a minute, and you can pray along with me. So will you bow your heads with me, River West? I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and let's say a prayer together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We're so privileged to be here today to worship the risen Lord with millions upon millions upon millions of joy-filled followers of Christ around the globe. What a privilege, God. Our hearts are full. We love you. We want to worship Christ, we want to see Christ, and we want to become like Christ. I want to thank you for those who have come and they're visiting, and perhaps some who have come and even coming to this awareness. I don't have that joy. And it feels like today is your day. If that's you, it's a simple prayer. But I'll pray now, and you can pray along with me. Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe that Jesus suffered and died on a cross to take my place, to take my shame, to take my sin. And I believe that on the third day, he rose again in victory. He walked out of a tomb. And he is alive, and he's with us in this moment. And so I put my hope in Christ alone, my Lord and my God. And if you just prayed that prayer, you have become a Christian. Hallelujah. God be praised. Let the joy flood in. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that our joy would grow as we see Jesus in this time and as we worship him. We thank you for it, Lord, and we pray it together as your people. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. amen.